Excuse me, Veronica. <clears throat> yes, what is it, Brick? I would like to extend to you an invitation to the pants party. Excuse me? The party, the pants with the pants. Party with pants. Welcome to the Pants Party. I am your host, Harrison Starr, HD underscore star on Twitter. Joined as always by my revved up co-host, Ben Ross, Renboss23, Harmon, not Chillabrew today. And it's actually not about Iowa sports that has you most revved up. We're going to get to a series of unrelated rant topics here to, to open it. And um, I, I'm excited, but but how you doing, Ben? I'm good. I'm not, I'm not revved up. I'm not, uh, I mean, I'm always ready to rant, but I'd say I'm more revved up about uh, the Iowa football team than I am some of these other feelings I have, I guess. It's just been an opinionated week for me. I had a lot of free time uh, last week and through the weekend, (laughs) I I suppose, outside of watching Iowa football. So I've had, I've had time. I've had the opportunity to stew on some things. And uh, and observe some things, some some changes I'd like to make in the greater diaspora of popular culture and and sport too, I suppose. Fantastic. The the first one I want to discuss: Dune, a, a movie I still have not watched, and I get this text from you at let's call it uh, midday Wednesday, a, a good lunch movie. We've all enjoyed those. And you're ticked off about the uh, why can't I think the trailers the, the talk, previews talk to me there Ben. So first, I want to get make it clear. I started a new job on Friday, so I took Monday and Thursday oh, off. Week. Okay, okay. <laughs> I started a new job last Friday, so I took Monday <laughs> through Thursday off of last week. Um, for, there were four trailers for Dune, and they were a, a Batman movie, a Spider Man movie. Eternals, which I had never heard of before, and a Matrix movie. And Harrison, what do all four of those movies have in common? They're all uh, big box movies. They're all recycled IP. Recycled IP is the issue. When we say when we say IP, we mean intellectual property. In that, none of them are original scripts. Eternals is a comic, I guess. I can't remember if it's <laughs> Marvel or a third one. <clears throat> and the Matrix. <laughs> when when did the first Matrix come out? Nineteen ninety one? Not not no, ninety nine. Ninety nine. Ninety nine. Or maybe maybe a little later. Close enough. Great, I believe. Oh my goodness. Um. <laughs> and it, it just I, I, I and at the time I was pretty angry, and then I let you don't call me an old man. Called me Bill Simmons, I think. Right? No, I called you Martin Scorsese. Martin Scorsese. I mean, much bigger insult. Yeah. That's not true. Call me Bill no, Simmons. That, that's a, that, that was me being nice, I think. We'd end this podcast <laughs> if we called me Bill Simmons. Um, and it's so funny. To be, but And I kind of just shook it off, and then I'm even angrier now, and I'll get to the why. I think my take is even stronger, but it's so silly to have this conversation surrounding a movie, Dune, which is based off of a, one of the most famous novels Thank of you. all time. But I, but I think, you know, you can't really compare – a novel written, I think, in what nineteen eighty to sixty seven. Jesus Christ! It was in a, was in a crossword. That's how, how I remember it. I was going to say, how do you have all these dates, these years? <laughs> <laughs> Ready to fact check the hell out of me? That's good producing. And I mean, you just—I don't know if you can really compare a novel that was based on what is just a drawn out allegory to the Cold War, right, or the Korean War, um, more or less, as written back then. And compared to what the twentieth Batman movie we're gonna get in the last fifty years, like I mean not twentieth, but pro- maybe ten. You can probably count. Can definitely count almost on three hands. I bet how many Batman movies there have been. And my issue, I guess, with the Batman thing is the Christopher Nolan Batman's were perfect. Yeah, they were excellent. 
Yes. And you got three of them. It's not like you only got one. It's not like you only got Dark Knight. And you're like, oh, we could use more. No, you got Batman. I think the first one beginning, the one that had um, Liam Neeson in it, was still incredibly underrated. Nobody saw it. The best, be, the best of the three is a take. I'll go to the great. That's one a pretty good that. take. I I kind of think Lord of the Rings, the first one, Fellowship of the Ring, is my favorite of the three. Like it's. Uh, I think they're they're fine. Not to really compare that, but I guess like the le- the least seen, the least popular, um, I guess of of them is that. And you know, I kind of shook it off. Whatever. First of all, Dune was awesome. I'm going to see it again. Uh, it was so good. Net, definitely see it in IMAX. That's what I did. And I thought whatever. Really enjoyed it. And then <clears throat> I spent all of my Sunday, other than watching that stupid Vikings game, I spent all of my Sunday. And part of my work day today, finishing Only Murders in the Building on Hulu, which <laughs> is the most original, delightful, unique piece of content I've seen uh, definitely in 2021. Just a, th- a joy. Absolute joy. So unique and so surprising. And uh, just put a smile on my face for five hours. Five and a half hours. Each episode's only twenty-five to thirty-three minutes or something, so you can just power right through it. And we need more of that. I mean, it's you know, I, I think like some of the most accomplished actors, Martin Short and Steve Martin, and you know, they're the ones who worked on it. There, and so they had the ability to to greenlight something like that. But um, I mean, I just want more of that, more more stuff like that. And we're, I mean, we're going to be getting more Dune stuff. I I mean, Dune. The great thing about Dune, I guess, is you just have some of your favorite, like Oscar Isaac, Jason Momoa. Yeah. Um, you know, we love Zendaya. We love. Yep. Um, say whatever you want about Timothy Chalamet. I'm a, Timothy Chalamet. Javier Bardem. You know, you just got all the favorites playing the hits. Skarsgård plays like a slug. Um, <laughs> it's just a another. That was definitely the highlight of my week, and I, you know, I'm going to see it again in a couple of weeks. I'm going to wait a little bit. Long. I was actually going to a friend invited me to go with him tonight, but I wanted to wait a little bit longer in between viewings uh, to see it again. Well, Ben, I have to say that was an excellent rant with Dune because it cut off every single counter that I was going to have where you're complaining about it being recycled IP when it's, it's a movie before and also a book, but your point as you relate it to the Batman stuff, it's like we have had two Batmans, right? Since, since, uh, why can't I, the Christopher Nolan, since, one. since we Christian had Bale, ben Affleck. we had Ben Affleck, which I never saw. I actually haven't seen any Batmans other than, uh, uh, Christopher Nolan or Christian Bale. I've seen the old ones. Um, whoever the old old guy was, I can't remember. Michael Keaton. I saw those. Michael Keaton. Yeah, but I haven't seen any. I haven't seen any post Christian Bale Batman's in my lifetime. But anyways, I have to say you you just did an excellent job cutting that off because I was gonna I was gonna be like, well, this is this is just what it is because Dune's remake a remake of something as it is, and they're setting it up to have their own set of cinematic universe now my guess is it's just going to be all book stuff but who knows maybe there will be other things involved i don't know i haven't seen the movie i've only heard good things and also worth noting dune was also a david lynch movie he tried to make and he made in like 1985 or 84 or something too and that was that failed miserably he like won't even talk about it in interviews oh geez louise okay (laughs) um so I, I will definitely be seeing Dune. I, the original plan was to HBO Max it, but we've just heard so much that we just have to figure out a way to get to it. My parents are actually coming this weekend. Maybe that's what we try and do, Christine and I. Would your would your if there is a if somebody gave me three hundred million dollars to make a movie, my parents would disdain with every fiber of their being. I would make Dune. Would your parents enjoy that? Would their would her parents enjoy that? Uh, by I'm trying to remember because I've ha- I've ha- I had this conversation years ago with my dad, and I think he said Dune was the only science fiction book he ever liked. And I mean, he's 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 classic 
dad, right, reading all the Civil War and World War II stuff he can get his hands on. So that tracks. Um, and I think we watched the movie. I may have been like 12 to 14, something like that. To say, it, it didn't stick out. But I guess my point is Free Babysitter. Maybe we can now go watch it in uh, the the theater. Um, mm-hmm. Hopefully... Uh, so, so maybe that, and I think the thing about only murders in the building, I appreciate the recommendation. That's definitely something we'll have to watch because, um, Selena Gomez, we watched her little cooking show on HBO max, total delight, but really didn't watch that much. That was like height of quarantine. And you're like trying to try all these new different things. And I think she got beat out by great British, British baking show just because there were so many of them. Um, so maybe, maybe that'll restart the, the Selena Gomez talk um, or, or watching of, of us. Uh, the next one you have, you said Halloween is underrated now. Discuss. Oh, I think I just had, I, I just had a lot of fun on Saturday. I don't know. I haven't, I just, I haven't really gone out. So here's I this is it's just been a me problem. I've always half-assed a costume. Sometimes I haven't even gone out. Sometimes I haven't even worn a costume when I go out. I'm trying to remember the last time I did like go out for Halloween. I know I was like Joe Madden for Halloween in 2015, and that's like the last costume I can remember doing. Um, and this year I put together. I mean, a friend her 30th birthday was on Saturday. Uh, so it was a golden birthday too for her, and so she had a big Halloween bash. And I would have felt bad if I knew other people were taking the costume thing seriously. And you just kind of feel like an idiot, I think, if you if you clearly half-assed it. So I, I think I did a pretty decent job with mine. I got tons of compliments, more than I've ever gotten on anything in my entire life, um, <laughs> from total strangers too, which is just how you, how you, and then going to the bars afterwards. I was a, I was a very, I was a hipster hoity toity cocktail bartender. It was and, incredible. And I, and even like the bartenders at the bars I was going to, they, they got a really good kick out of it. <laughs> um, so that was, yeah, and I kind of want to recycle it even. I could I could add some flourishes for next year and step it up even a, a notch further, but we'll see. Um, I don't know. I, I was just kind of throwing things at the wall, trying to delay the inevitable conversation we're going to have in a few moments. No, this is great because I, mm-hmm. I have multiple takes. Great. Let's hear them. As it, base, as it bases on, on Halloween. Um, the first being, I think they're like, four or five really good times in someone's life for Halloween. I I think the first time is like, once you really start to get it between three and six. And then I think the first time you go with just friends right around 10, 11, 12. Um, The next one is your, First collegiate weekend where you do multiple days in a row. And then the fourth one is, I I think you're at this one now, Ben, which is like the either the first time you like fully go in on an adult costume or uh, something of that nature Two two not two years ago. I think it was four years ago. I went as Bob and Christina went as Linda. That was a great one from Bob's Burgers. And then 2019, I went as John Wick three nights in a row. And I think those, those were about as good a weekends as, as I've had for Halloween. And then the last one, and this one hits close to my heart. It is like the first one with the kid. Uh, We took Elliot just went to like six to eight houses. He's got his little squirrel costume on and you see him just happy as a squirrel, happy as a clam just bouncing all around, and that was a lot of fun. I, I actually didn't believe, think I would have as much fun as I did. So those are kind of the four or five great Halloween times in someone's life. Great, and I, did you dress little guy up this year? 
Yeah, so he was a squirrel. We just got oh, that's costume. okay. When you say happy as a squirrel, I get it now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think if we had put more thought into it instead of just like seeing the squirrel costume, knowing that it was going to be adorable on him, what we would have done is something to the effect of like turning him into a flying squirrel, where he's got like a pilot hat, aviators, and we're flight attendants or whatever the other one he did he went as dwight i sent this picture on twitter um and someone made a good point he actually looks more like jim as dwight um which was that cracked me up um so halloween rant the the next the next one is arugula ben my entire life i've just i i eat spinach I eat like two. Okay. I, I eat spinach five or six nights a week with dinner. That's just how, the way I get the way I force greens in my body. And recently, I've been buying spinach arugula mix. It's just so much better. I can't believe I've been go- doing this the past five or six years without arugula. Just very nice. Okay. Okay. Um, I think you're right to mix it with the spinach because my take with the arugula is why are we eating weeds? But when it's when it's with the spinach, you have a little more density to it. Is arugula a weed? It, it feels like a weed, Ben. Oh, it doesn't taste like a weed. No, I haven't eaten any weeds lately, though. So, mm. <laughs> so that that was that was my arugula chant. Although I do arugula is fine. I, I think it needs something something in there with it, though. And then the coup de gras before we actually get to Iowa topics, Michigan football, and where they are at. Okay, I thought I thought you were gonna say we're gonna save this for the end, but we can just do it now, I guess, because I think it will it will lead into the Iowa yeah. conversation a little bit. I guess I sp- I'll be honest, like I I think I said this last week or two weeks ago post Purdue. I definitely said a post Purdue loss. Like I haven't been I haven't consumed next I've consumed next to nothing for Iowa content. I wrote I I read everything that was posted today on the pants, but I haven't read anything else. I haven't read any of the comments or anything. I haven't read the Athletic. I haven't read talk central i haven't read the gazette um and but i have read a little bit of mason brew and a little bit of the michigan subreddit really and i and i watched i was flipping back and forth pretty furiously between michigan state michigan and and the iowa game and the entire basically fourth i i watched so little of the fourth quarter of the iowa game it was just futile for me so i spent most of the time watching that that and it was a banger it was an absolute banger. Yeah. I, I I mean, I, I I mentioned this in my column today, or in Power Rankings today. Is like, sure, Michigan maybe got screwed by the officials, but it was bad. I mean, it was bad. I still don't think it was as bad as Penn State getting screwed against Auburn earlier in the year. You know, um, and Penn State over overcame the officials to to win to beat Auburn there. So so what are you gonna do? That's the only nice thing I'll ever say about Penn State. Gosh, um, you know, there's a comment based on this top of the college football thread for in regards to the Michigan game. It's probably not in the top anymore, but I saved it. Is I mean, Michigan fans are frustrated. They they have every right to be right, um, and I think obviously it's to be sick of Harbaugh right now, uh, losing record against Michigan State. Uh, which is really tough, and then has never beaten Ohio State, obviously. And I mean, if he, I said before the year started that if he beats Ohio, he could lose every game of the year, but if he beats Ohio State, he'll keep his job, I think. And um, <clears throat> he, I mean, he's looking at really good chance of beating Ohio State, even though they are, you know, the Death Star, becoming the Death Star again this year. But uh, beating them wouldn't be out of the question. Really, I, I think the crux of his argument, his or her argument on in the post is the following, you know. It's basically, if we get rid of Jim Harbaugh, then who are we going to get? And then here's the case against Harbaugh. And it's just like damning when you lay it, lay it out. It's no big, ti- no big Ten titles, no appearances in the Big Ten title game, has never won the Big Ten East, has only finished second in the East once, no appearances in the playoff, obviously. No wins versus OSU. Um, losing record to Michigan State, I mentioned before. He has one win as an underdog. 
uh, in his time against in his time in Michigan, losing record against top ten teams, losing record to ranked teams, and losing record in bowl games. And when you lay that out, I mean, it's pretty bad, pretty bad, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of I compare it to Iowa in the sense that Kirk Ferentz has thread threaded the needle to where he wins the the right games with enough frequency that it keeps everyone at bay. And that's where we are right now. And I think as it pertains to Harbaugh, he wins, he loses all the wrong games. Um, Nicholas had the great one where it was like three and nine as the numbers. And when you fold in the bowl games, like you do, that's 13 losses out of, I think 20, three to 25 in his whole tenure. So over half of his losses come in arguably the most high profile games for a Michigan squad. And that's just a clip that is unsustainable. Now I think the flip side of it is he has enough like 10 win seasons. He has a strong enough start this season where they look different and feel different other than the results now being the same right um but you can still see well he's been this good there's some amount of what if there's a sense that he's not quite at his ceiling and if his ceiling is 10 wins two losses you just gotta hope that right it's the right two losses, right? And that you can pull it out against uh, Ohio State every now and then. But Ohio State plays a different game, and this is a conversation we haven't had in a while, but it's one that we do have. Ohio State is not concerned with – they do not trifle with the Big Ten. The The Big Ten is not really their domain in the same way that 13 other teams are. And for a Michigan team, that absolutely stinks, where you're always playing them the last game of the season – you're always up against them as it pertains to getting into the title game. It's, I just can't look at it and not see some version of like Wisconsin versus Iowa. And um, I think that's maybe why you want to talk about it. But like, I think that that's where it is. And, and to me, it's, if you're a Michigan fan, there's a much wider gap than if you're an Iowa fan when you look at Ohio State versus Iowa. Now, the problem, again, as we look at the weekend that passed, is they lost to Michigan State and they didn't even lose to Ohio State. So maybe the whole season can be rectified if they beat Ohio State. They don't even Do they even have to go to the Big Ten Championship for that, for that to happen and, and it be rectified? Just you get over the hump of Ohio state and things are good in Ann Arbor. But uh, to me, uh, yeah, uh, your question, if not Harbaugh, who there's, there's no one better, especially considering he made the changes that he did to his staff, to his offense. The defense was a problem, right? But Kenneth Walker is going to be a problem against almost anyone he plays except Nebraska of all teams. So uh, I also empathize with Michigan just because I, I, I like the cut of their jib. Um, so, and I like Harbaugh. It's, I, I, I do think if Michigan ends the season on a note where they beat a top five Ohio State team, kind of a lot of this will be forgotten or maybe thrown in a drawer to be used again next year. I, I laid out the first comment <laughs> But the more interesting one was reply to this comment, and I think you can sub out a lot of the teams I'm about to rattle off here for other teams, for teams in the West. Um, basically, the gist of it is Michigan has a deeply ingrained hubris problem that will always hold it back. Internally and externally, they assume themselves as competing with, at Ohio State's level, like you mentioned. Ohio State is a bar for success. Therefore, the refocus on Iowa, on Ohio State this season. And that's where the hubris comes in. 
They shouldn't be attempting to focus and beat Ohio State when they can't even beat Michigan State and Penn State. <laughs> Michigan State has won 10 of the last 14 against Michigan. Penn State, 7 of the last 11. What kind of arrogant program sets its sights on Ohio State when they can't even beat the number two and three teams in their own division? They're trying to climb Everest before they even master the hills in their own backyard. Now, Harrison, you swap out Michigan for Iowa. You swap out Ohio State yeah. for Wisconsin. Swap out Michigan State for Purdue. Swap oh, out Penn State for Northwestern. Uh... We have the same problems. Except Iowa is inarguably three steps below the ladder of Michigan in this scenario. Yeah. I, in my my little write-up today, that's what you hammer home is ultimately kind of what I gloss over by getting hyper-specific in the fact that we hit November, and once again, Iowa doesn't control their own destiny in the West. And it's not because they lost to Wisconsin. It's time and again, year after year, it's because they lose to the Purdue's and the Northwesterns. And I think, you know, the, the, the losing record against Brom is not about to change anytime soon. Uh, I think it's close to 50-50 against Fitzgerald, but it's... 50-50 in the sense that Iowa is not really beating good Northwestern teams. They're beating bad West Northwestern teams bad, and they're losing to good Northwestern teams in excruciating fashion. And you're right. Like, we focus so much on Wisconsin, and I think there's value to that, right? And, oh, we want to be Wisconsin of the West. But look at Wisconsin. They, they're able to beat Purdue and Northwestern at a much higher clip. And that, in part, is why they are doing what they're doing. In addition to the fact that they've, you know, body-bagged Iowa for, call it, the, the third time in five years. Uh, I think if I'm remembering doing the math correctly. Uh, and I wouldn't consider the, the 20... 18 game, that bad. That, that was a lot of things going against Iowa in a game that they probably could have won. But three of the last five times, Iowa had... Well, I guess in 2019 wasn't that bad either. I'm going back to 26. Anyways, with, with some regularity, I'm wrong on the number. Wisconsin is playing Iowa like they're stuffing them into the trunk of a car. And about to take them out to, to where an old Robert De Niro is going to bury a body. It's just the way it is. It's the most frustrating thing. And it's, it's frustrating for me here doing this because it's nothing new. There's nothing unique. I mentioned it. There's nothing I can say that's unique or something that I, I don't have any thoughts that nobody's already thought because these coaches, Brian Brom and Paul Christ, are beating, and, and especially Pat Fitzgerald, yeah. are beating Kirk Ferentz the same way anyone's beaten Kirk Ferentz for the past 20 years. Like, Brian Brom hasn't changed a freaking thing in his game plan against Iowa, offensive game plan. Christ, no. Chris, they didn't change anything. They just they did what Iowa refuses to do, and... Put you know, uh, put seven offensive linemen on the field at a time. Forget about a tight end. Run it down your throat, and then give your shaky quarterback, give him schemes and draw plays that that let him build his confidence and find his footing, literally and figuratively, to just pick apart this defense with six and eight yard routes. And then, why Iowa just can't see. Why Iowa can't just play the game? Why why they can't just steal these game plans and steal these ideas and not even steal, but like not even practice for them? It feels like right. Like how frustrating. Like I wasn't even. I was. It's so funny because I was still less. I was less mad yesterday still than I was yeah. 
and I said this last week, I was more mad after beating Penn State than I was after losing to Purdue. And I was more mad after beating Penn State than I was after losing to Wisconsin. Just cause, I mean, a lot of that is I just let the fans and the media get get to me. And part of that is I consumed every podcast and every article <laughs> I could read following the Penn State win. Whereas now I've just ignored it all because I'm so deflated. And I go go back to the Michigan post that we started this off with. If not Harbaugh, then who? I think it's more optimistic for Iowa because yeah. we've got suitors in the program, I think, that can pick up the program. You know, probably not Phil Parker. I think his age is tough, but I would like for him to stay on. But, you know, we've said on here before, I think LeVar Woods is probably the right guy to lead the program. And if you want to consider a Stoops brother, be it Mike or Mark, to be, quote unquote, in the program, you know, they're alumni then yeah, I, I think you can go and get those guys. Whereas with Michigan, who you, you I don't know if you said this, you said this to me before as we were planning the show, you said, yeah. who could they get a Matt Campbell who has never beat Iowa? Yeah. Like really just pretty bonkers stuff. It just seems so the problem is it's so easy. Like it just feels so easy and like, we're, oh, what are we? We're just a couple of bloggers, blah blah blah. But like, I, I saw on Twitter, like people or there, there were Wisconsin players who were interviewed after the game who knew the plays I, which knew the they knew the plays I was running. Like, I I, I won't I think back to I think Penn Iowa Penn State in 2016, where the Penn State yep. players said the exact same thing. You can see them pointing at the receiver and the block lineman at, at where the ball is going, like. How it's malpractice, really, and and Todd Bromblecamp was getting a lot of shit on Twitter about how like the questions are being asked, like blah blah blah, like what he wants to do. And I mean, I empathize with him, not yeah. not just because I'm a former journalist, but it's like he's right. What's the point in being openly antagonistic and potentially getting your credential? To, you know, taken. You know, I think it's a little bit overblown. I don't think that's going to happen, especially to somebody like Todd. Um, <clears throat> but what's the point if you just know nothing you can say or do is going to change anything? And that's the frustration I have. I'm, I expressed earlier, and there's nothing I can say or do that's going to make anyone have an, a light bulb moment into the uh, 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 peeking into the problems with Iowa football because the problems uh, with Iowa football are stark and. <laughs> It might be even starker as a you know the sort of a lawsuit and deposition unfolds in the off season. Yeah, I mean, I think the on field stuff, the the thing I am increasingly like getting back to, and this is something that Stoops has said in our emails, is like right now the value statement on Iowa football is simply that they win a lot. And they'll have some really great outlier games. It's rarely that they will. It's not that they're fun to watch. Because when you see the sentiment about Iowa football on Twitter. And granted, Twitter is a segment of the population. But it offers insight into how people from all over view Iowa. They do not view Iowa as a fun team to watch. You know, Nicole Auerbach is tweeting while watching the BYU-Virginia game. What must Iowa think about this? And I mean, because that game got what, like into the 60s and 70s? I I mean, truly mind-boggling. I would never expect it. And they are often the butt of the joke because of how they play. And I think... The thing that ultimately frustrates me is, yeah, they win, but it's a combination of the right games to, quote, to, to keep people happy. It's the rivalries. It's the bowl games of late. It's, um, and then it's enough of the cupcakes that, you know, you're, you're able to stack eight to 10 win seasons and pile the wins but you're out of the division race 
seven times out of 11 years in on November 1st, Iowa does not control their destiny for the seventh time in 11 years. And only once has it extended past the second game of November. And that was 2015. And it, to, to me, the fact that that happens, it's like it allows a quote unquote reset of expectations for, hey, we're out of it now. Let's just go win some games. And like, let, that almost has this, the same sense of like, let's just not get embarrassed in, in some sense. And hey, that's fine. Like, I mean, I, I get it that it, it's nice to win more games than it is to lose, but the slog of an Iowa football season is brutal more often than not, even the wins. The wins bring relief and the losses bring a lot of hand-wringing because it's the same things that we talk about every single time Iowa loses. They never lose because they're trying to be too creative or they're going down swinging or they're... uh, Sometimes you'll see like, oh, the defense didn't have it, but the offense gave it its best shot. And that is just not exciting football to watch. I enjoy it because there's the weird emotional connection to it. I enjoy it because, you know, the blogging aspect, I I enjoy it because, you know, I talk about it with friends and family, but it's like these games can be excruciating to watch. And I, I, I get back to that as kind of the broadest point because the wins are fun, but like uh, I haven't talked to my dad about like what it was actually to be in the stadium that past week. And and you'll have the pleasure of being there in uh, on Saturday. And I'll have the pleasure of being in uh, Kinnick stadium when they face Illinois. And it'll be like, it's fun, but it's also like, it's like watching it, especially if it's a Fox game, it's like watching paint dry at times. It's like not even post-Iowa game went to post-Iowa game pre-Halloween party. I had like an engagement party and it was all, it was a friend from Iowa and he married a girl who went to Iowa too, or he's married a girl and proposed to girl went to Iowa too. So it was all Hawkeyes everywhere. And I had the same conversation for the three hours I was there and it was all back-to-back fullback dive this. Graham Mertz, can't believe they beat Iowa that. Same shit, different year this. Bad bad offensive line that. Petrus pulled a scholarship this. It was all the same. And, like, my argument is, yes, what you're saying is true. But the constant, you know, with the same conversation, you know, remove Petrus and put in Jake Rudock and Nate Stanley. Remove, you know, any offensive line, you know, and take any idea or offensive line problem. Remove Jay, remove Graham Mertz and put in John Stocko or Joel Stave. Um, it's all the same. And there, so there's one constant in that, and that's two of the four most important coaches on the team. I will say of the things that bothered me, the fullback dive was very low on the list. The Graham Mertz stuff was actually retrospect low on the list as well. I think, but I what is concerning about the Graham Mertz thing, and I think what should scare Iowa fans about that, is to me the game plan for Iowa is you throw your best 15 to 20 plays out right away. You you do that because you know Iowa's going to ju- adjust as it is. And if you just throw your best plays out, the ones your quarterback is 100% most comfortable running, the ones that you feel like you can get points on the board with, that that lead, however slim, is going gonna, is gonna to be a win so long as you hold on to the ball the rest of the time and just punt it away. Like we joke about punting as winning from an Iowa perspective. It's it's now the best way for teams to win is get a lead and punt it away because Iowa does struggle punching it out of a, a 
paper bag right now, a wet paper bag. And to me, it's 100% on Brian. Like if, if Spencer Petrus is so bad out of from under center with his footwork and passing the ball that you have to go shotgun every time he passes the ball, you you can't, you cannot not run out of shotgun. It is criminal for Iowa to have over the last two games, I think it, it was 35 out of 38 shotgun snaps before garbage time set in were passes. You pride yourself on balance. That is not balance. And that was something I said. That was something Leistakow wrote about in his, he didn't write about the shotgun. He, he alluded to what you had said about uh, Wisconsin players knowing where they were. And it's like, man, how, how, how do you have a week off and you don't chart plays like this? Like, because uh, it, it'd be, it'd be more okay if it weren't a problem against Purdue. And now I'm concerned, how bad was it against Penn State? How bad was it against Colorado State? How bad was it against Maryland? Like, how often was Iowa exclusively passing out of shotgun to the point where if you're if you're a defense, you can match personnel, call two plays or whatever you want to do, and your key is basically where the quarterback is. How easy must that be for a like I want to get into the mind of Jim Leonard and what he thinks when he sees that. He has to think this is peewee stuff, right? Like, I mean, <laughs> I, I, I don't, it, it's unbelievable that split is what I, I, I'm getting at. And if Petrus has his limitations, but he, I'm not going to say he doesn't have skills that can be used because he's shown an ability to make enough good passes to be like this is acceptable like the the good isn't so bad that it's not worth trying to maximize the good and Iowa just doesn't do that they don't make life easy for Spencer Petrus in any definition of the word because they they defensive ends nowhere to go to get a sack when he's in shotgun they, they even know where to go when he's under center because Iowa can't run past. They, he can't roll out to his left. He can't roll out to his right with, with much. And, and even if he can, he's, you know, it's easy to get the edge on him and at best force a throw away if you're uh, an Iowa player. So it's, it's frustrating. I, I mean, to, to me, the solution is like a hundred percent shotgun develop some run plays out of it and really lean into jet sweep action. But like, will Iowa do even one of those things? Probably not. I mean, my issue, my greatest issue is what you've started your whole monologue there with is Spencer Petrus is so bad in a three-step drop from under center in year three of the program, year four. Yeah, Redshirt Jr. Like, what the hell? And we said this over and over again. If a cor- if Phil Parker had a corner who can't cover a simple go route, if he had a linebacker who couldn't, you know, sniff out a pulling guard, if he had a defensive tackle who didn't get his arms up, hands up right at the split second after the snap, he'd have what, one season to figure that out? And I know Padilla... Padilla got in like relatively early, I guess maybe earlier than I thought. And like he had one nice throw and then that was that. (laughs) And that, Uh, yeah. I mean, the the thing about Padilla is he doesn't have the arm strength. He. Jake Rudock didn't have the, Jake Rudock didn't have the arm strength and he started two seasons. That's a fair point. And his mobility may not matter with this line, but. He can do enough that you, the fact that he threw that ball going to the left, that Spencer Petrus has not made that throw once. It, there, I don't care what the setting was. 
I haven't seen Spencer Petras throw a ball going to his left off script like that. And I'm not going to say I'm enticed by what Padilla can bring because there, Iowa can't formulate a game plan to Spencer Petras' strengths. What makes me think that they're going to formulate a game plan to Alex Padilla's exactly. strengths? Exactly. Nothing. Mm-hmm. So it the issues just get back to so structural in nature the fact that Iowa burdens their quarterback with things that no other college program does like having to make audibles at the line I mean it's it's incredible like that would be if I were a journalist that would be where I start because um you you see 90 percent of other colleges look to the sidelines and get their keys based on what someone whose job it is for literally 40 hours a week more though, because we know that's how it is. They it's their job. Like it doesn't come back. It comes back to ultimately the, the restraints around college kids are so tight that you have to delegate off of them. And the fact that Iowa doesn't is criminal. I mean, it's exaggeration, but like the fact that they, they force this burden onto Petrus it's unfair to him when his quarterback peers don't have to make those. And it would be it would be perfectly fine if Iowa was turning Nate Stanley's and CJ Beathard's and Jake Rudock's into first and second round picks. But they're not. They're just burdening them to burden them to make football work. And it just uh so someone said like isn't that just the right thing to feel bad for Petrus? Yes. Yes. And we always get there with almost every Iowa quarterback is to feel bad for them. And like, that's the thing you, you mentioned what does Paul, what does uh, Jim Leonard think, you know, watching Petrus watching preparing. It's like, that takes me back to to like when Todd McShay was saying Nate Stanley was missing, you know, high school level throws um, in that Penn state game in 2018. I think it's like, Doing it once would put any almost any coach in the hot seat. Doing it twice is like unheard of. And like the problem is too, I was telling people on Saturday is like, yes, Petrus shaky, but like he's not the problem. Like it, it, the only only quarterback you could put in there that were and where Iowa would beat Penn State and or uh, beat Purdue and Wisconsin this year is like 2010 Cam Newton. Like, and that's just not ever going to happen. You know, um, you know, maybe Kyler Murray from, I think, 17 or 18 when he's in Oklahoma. But like, <laughs> it's just, you know, unless you have a Heisman Canada level quarterback, this team's record still two losses to two, let's say it, two bad teams. Yeah, I mean, this is where like I... I hesitate in turning to optimism because I said in multiple settings that it would not surprise me if Iowa lost to the two best teams in the Big Ten West, but still made it to the conference championship game simply because they played and beat the seven teams that were ranked in the eight the eight worst spots amongst the Big Ten. And truthfully, it's still possible. Like, the thing that scares me about Northwestern is they're Northwestern. You take the name off that. You take the fact that they're coached by Pat Fitzgerald off that. That is a team that does not scare me. But because Pat Fitzgerald has had his way with Iowa, I'm scared by that. Um, And and then you kind of go down the list. It's like, then it, it... you know, Minnesota, you have to be a little bit, but also, you know, the same the same point you made about Campbell, isn't it kind of, we have to see Fleck beat Iowa before we think he can beat Iowa. Bielema was kind of scary, but Illinois is so up and down. And then Nebraska, like, who's, is that going to be the blind leading the blind by the end of it? I mean, arguably it already is, but like, I can see Iowa still getting to ten and two, but man, I I can't see this offense getting better. Like, like how 
weird is that to say? Just because I, because we so rarely see Iowa have unique game plans to their opponent. They're not all of a sudden just going to do it. Just because, oh, the, I think the media asks plenty of tough questions. The fact that Kirk Ferentz is good at answering them and deflecting them, it doesn't mean they weren't asked. But like, it's hard to ask. Hey, why does your son do? Why does your son suck? Like, I mean, there there are only so many appropriate ways you can do that, and I don't think you'll ever see Kirk Ferentz boil over. But I think that's part of the reason he won't is because people won't test his buttons because you won't get a rise out of him unless you're asking about an illegal man downfield or an illegal block. (laughs) I mean, you just don't get a rise out of that guy. Wouldn't a functional, normal football team at the pro or college level take this time to say we're taking play calling duties away from insert offensive coordinator here? Or Ohio State took their play calling away duties away. Ohio yes. State did it. The Bears did it. The I remember didn't Scott Frost do it a couple years ago? Scott Frost took it back. I think this year. Okay, um, but it's happened before. It's a totally normal thing, and it's like yeah, I'm not and like I don't think Brian Ferentz is useless as a coach. Maybe he's an upgrade over the current offensive line coach. Not that that'd be saying much. Maybe I don't know. Like th- there's probably a spot for him somewhere on the team. It's just so obviously not <laughs> designing this offense. I I think some of this comes down to this was this was an incredible stat that I found. I think Iowa is so used to winning ugly games that they struggle to develop game plans that aren't ugly wins. And by that I mean Five times in the last five years, Iowa has posted 200 yards or less. That That's something that's happened for a Big Ten team 45 times total. Overall, those teams are 4-41 and 41 in games where they've accumulated 200 or yes, less yards. How many wins does Iowa have out of that? Are you asking me? Yeah. Zero. They have three wins. They're three and two when they accumulate 200 or less yards. So there's this value system in Iowa's offense that says we literally do not need yards because we can win these games that other teams don't. And it's fine when you're throwing the ball away instead of throwing an interception. But if you're still going to have three turnovers, you got to try and push the ball down the field. I mean, like it's, it's incredible to me that like all of the pro defense stats enable a, the ecosystem that we have praised before because of the fact that Iowa can win games like this. And when it's working, it's working really quite beautifully, but they, they don't know how to box with their left hand. Right. I mean, they, they, if, if they can't get a lead necessarily or keep a game close and then get a lead, it's a struggle for them to get anything going. Um, because that's just not a muscle that they've pulled in a while. Um, you know, I, I don't know if Iowa is capable of playing in like a 30-30 type game, like a game like the Michigan-Michigan State game to bring it back around. I think that's a game where Iowa is either up by 20 points or they are down by 20 points. And kind of what we've seen, at least this year, <laughs> except for the fact they haven't let, let an opponent get to 30. Is that going to be the new uh, the new stat? How many games it's been since the team's gotten to 30? I mean, yeah, the SID department has to find some type of fragrance to cover up the the mess on the floor. So, Ben, as we wind this down, as you prepare for 
a Saturday at Ryan Field. 6 p.m. kickoff, Saturday night. My God. What? I, I we, we talked about what you were hoping for. I was hoping for uh, Tyler Goodson, Texas routes. Didn't happen, not once. Not, they did not. try a Tyler Goodson slant. That was fun. <laughs> um, but what, what are you hoping to see, Ben? I mean, I'm hoping. Here's the thing. It's like, I don't know, you know, I, I, I don't think I can sit here and say, like, yeah, we did say Tyler gets in Texas routes and uh, jet sweeps, even if they're fake, and wildcat this and wildcat that. It's like, I haven't even seen glimmers of anything else that we've already seen is at this point, I don't even know what. I want to just see anything different. I don't like. I don't know if I want to see. You know what I mean, though. Like I'm, I'm being serious. I think the like, bar is so low. Right, the bar is so low. That's what I'm saying. It's like I, I, I could, it'd be so easier for me to say what I don't want to see. I don't want to see any fullback dives. I don't want to see any QB sneaks unless it, you know it's unless it's f- f- first and goal on the one. I don't want to see. I mean, we're not going to see any Ivory Kelly Martin fumbles. And I'll tell you what. Uh, what I'm talking about here is, which I think is a little bit fishy, is I, I've been looking at these. So I recall Kelly Martin is out, and they sent this doubtful. Yeah, they sent like a separate type of press release, or they made a separate footnote in the press release that you get on uh, Mondays. I've never, I've never when Riley Moss was out, he didn't like that wasn't meant that they waited until Tuesday to do that. Like they, I've, they've never made like a footnote that I can remember in a press release about a player being out. Is that right? I think that's right. I don't, I don't get those. Um, yeah, I do. I'm still on the email list. So, um, oh boy. Oh boy. So like normally we would have to, normally we would see, and maybe it's because Ivory Kelly Martin, didn't visibly get hurt during the game. Whereas like Riley Moss did. And so like they wanted clarification when he wasn't on the two deeps, I guess. But I just think something's a little smelly there because there's been, there's definitely must've been times where I'm sure an offensive lineman or a defensive lineman didn't visibly get hurt during a game, but then wasn't on the two deeps. And then, and then I do remember being in press conferences where a reporter brings that up and Kirk is Kirk, a, or Kirk Ferentz usually opens a press conference mentioning yeah. talking about injuries, so it's he gets out in front of it right away. But I do think it's a little eyebrow raising. Again, it doesn't really matter. Backup running back who's you know I think struggled is putting it lightly this year. But so my my overall point is, like you said, the bar is so low. Just seeing it, it's easier to say what you don't want to see than what you do see. And what I don't want to see is anything I've watched for the past eight quarters of Iowa football. I, w- I mean, what sucks, though? Like, I mean, seriously, the defense did incredibly. Yes, like, I mean, they gave up what? Like, I mean, 17 10 points for the two, the uh, for the three possessions that started inside of the 14-yard line. 10 points. And... I, we've said it before, I just don't know how it can, how hard it can be for a defense to do a three and out, watch the backup punt returner take one right off the face mask and give the ball right back. Like how, how hard must it be to be an Iowa defensive player to see that happen like I think I was watching Jamari Harris he like saw it happen and he just like jogged back to his spot on the defensive point it it just felt horrible for him I mean I felt horrible for Max Cooper but these are not issues with Max Cooper new issues with Max Cooper why do you think they recruited Charlie Jones they're not new issues with Ivory Kelly Martin god love him great teammate like I mean he he's entered like the Steve Prome zone where everyone or the, even the Todd Licklider zone where it's like you, you can't go without talking how great a teammate or great a guy he is. But 
the kid's had fumbling problems his whole career at Iowa. Somehow he's fought through it, probably because people really like him. But, man, it is hard for an Iowa defense because they post winning numbers every single week and to still lose in sometimes the dumbest fashion. Now, Iowa didn't do anything to to deserve that game from from a team effort. And we didn't even talk about how they opened the game in truly mind-numbing fashion. Like, I mean, <sighs> watch, like, I mean, I watched the game at a friend's house. I went and by the time we got there to turn the TV on at 1103 or whatever, the stream was still buffering and it was commercial. It literally was. We had just missed the punt. How many seconds went off the clock on the first drive? It was incredible. Like, it made no sense like to go out in five wide. You've got this beautiful field position. The special teams more than did their job. And it's inconceivable that you could run three plays that would not have you kicking a field goal. Like the man, I, I just think Brian Ferentz just sits in his office thinking up plays and he's got good play design sometimes, but like he just gets so infatuated with the things he'll come up with that they're not married together as a part of anything. They're not against type. They're one-off plays that sometimes they work. Sometimes they don't. And when they work, they work, but you can only throw so many tunnel screens, man. Oh man, I can't believe. It. But I guess fr- from a, an Iowa Northwestern point standpoint, I want to see just more running out of shotgun, please, for the love mm. of God, more running out of shotgun. I, I'm begging and pleading. I I'll send the link to to Brian and, and my Google Sheets. Here were the times you ran out of shotgun. Here are the times you didn't. I'm I'm the, almost there almost there but i won't he's a grown man i i do this in my spare time for fun i should not be able to figure out the the trends that iowa does he shouldn't succeed as a result of my my email because the other thing that ticked me off from ference's press conference was three weeks ago he said iowa fans are smart and now he's not going to solicit opinions from us or suggestions shame on you kirk ference shame on you i say that jokingly but that reminds me of um, in high school, there was always a lottery on our football team. Somebody got to draw a play each week oh, and nice. give it to the football, to the head coach, and we'd practice it um, in nine, you know, nine times out of ten. I don't think we'd ever – we would never run in a game, but one time we did run uh, a, a play that I think like – the, the the woman who sat at the front desk of the high school <laughs> drew up and wrote and <laughs> and scored a touchdown. So like, and we weren't a very good high school team. Um, <laughs> so I, I I don't see why Kirk can't sort of have a lottery to be the next offensive coordinator for <laughs> for this. Uh, for a play. Yeah. Tell you what, oh, can't boy. be any worse. Simply cannot. I don't want to think about it. I wanted to look up a stat that was how many, what's the average points that Iowa scores after they lay an absolute stinker of uh, an offensive performance. And I didn't want to look at that because I didn't want to be depressed that it was like, oh, in games where Iowa scores 10 points or less, they average 13 points. I didn't want that in my life. So I'm going to end up doing that right now (laughs) because I thought about it. Anything else you want to? I know, I know. Christina said no dilly dallying, so I'll have to do it on my phone. Okay, uh, out there. Uh, I mean, yeah, I do want to say like, if Iowa loses to Northwestern, like I, I don't want to predict anything or you know put the cart before the horse. But I think, oh yeah, it's a five alarm fire. 
not just one hundred percent. Not just because you lo- you lose three games in a row th- to three very mediocre teams, but you go from the number two team in the country, and now you, the talk is going to be players have given up. Whose fault yes. is that? Yes. And like you've just got a complete and total disaster, not seen really since twenty twelve on your hands. In twenty twelve, you could write off yes. because that team was broke. That team was butt cheeks. This team is not. Yeah. This is a bridge that we can cross if Iowa loses to Northwestern. But I think the optimism, and this is why I get back, like, if there's anything optimistically to take from it, it's that Iowa has played three of the top ten scoring defenses the last three games. They've gone backwards, no doubt about it, but Northwestern is not that good of a defense, and I would not be afraid of them if they were any team other than Northwestern coached by anyone who was not Pat Fitzgerald. If if this was a Minnesota team, I would be licking my chops. So, point of that is, that's how much respect I have for Pat, Pat Fitzgerald because he hates Iowa that much. There was a news story in the comment section about how someone wanting to like sh- show Big Ten allegiance, an incredible story, at a bowl game that Northwestern was at when they had like some type of open practice or whatever. Pat Fitzgerald made him put on a Northwestern sweatshirt or something. Incredible story. Um, yeah, I... I I have so much fear for Pat Fitzgerald that if he was the nice house with all the stuff for candy, gave out the big the big candy bars, I'd say Elliot, no, he's going to scare the shit out of you. We're not going there. You know who doesn't? We're not going to that house. You know who doesn't respect Pat Fitzgerald as much as you do, Harrison? You? Well, no, I mean, yeah, true, but more importantly. <laughs> The Iowa coaches don't respect Pat Fitzgerald as oh, much because yeah. they respect or disrespect everyone equally. And that's a huge problem. Unless there's a trophy on the line. Unless there's a trophy on the line, Iowa. Well, what? The Harlan Trophy? The same amount of respect. Well, fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. Oh, well, Ben. Any any closing thoughts? No. I don't think so. How, how much Malort are you going to drink this weekend? Um, That's a good question. How much Malort am I going to drink this weekend? So it's we've got a tailgate, it's, and it's going to be kind of like old times. There's going to be about 60 people I went to college with going Jeez, going, going to this game. <laughs> um, I don't I don't think any of my friends are going to be bringing bottles of Malort. Uh, it's probably more, more, more along. I'm trying to think what, what were the drinking activities we did at tailgate. Yeah. Oh, it'll be the, it'll be that, uh, peanut butter whiskey or whatever. Yeah. No, I don't think it's going to be drinking that either. It's going to be mostly just, we're going to have kegs and um, I think, I think some mom, I mean, some moms, but also like, you know, new moms, friends, girls I went to school with are going to be moms there too. And so maybe they're going to bring some trays of jello shots and things like that. We'll see. Fun stuff. Fun stuff. Well, I wish I could be jealous, but I'm happy not to happy not to go to Northwestern. I think we went to one game. It was a Herb Grigsby game. I said never again. Last game I went to was 2018 Northwestern, where I think the Noah Fant and Brian had had oh, some words. And, and I think, I mean, maybe to Brian's credit, Fant dropped a really important fourth down conversion. In the fourth quarter, if I remember correctly, so ah, uh, good times, mm-hmm. good times. So that's how we'll close. Yeah, for can't wait for Evan I know, I know. For for myself, Harrison Star, for Hawkeye fans everywhere, we know you still exist. Go Hawks! Help. <laughs>